I'm not sure what your schedule looks like uh, for the next three weeks, but let's say that it is packed full uh, with demanding and stressful and overwhelming things, and when you look at it, you don't even know how you're, you're going to get through it all, how you're going to do it all, survive it all. Would it help you to persist through those, those weeks, knowing that after the three arduous weeks were over, you'd be leaving on an all-expense paid trip for three weeks anywhere in the world? Now, maybe for some of you, it would be to a resort in the Bahamas, or maybe to some mountain lodge in the Rockies, or maybe to some chalet in the Italian Riviera. Wherever you'd go, it would be an amazing trip, and, and you're guaranteed to enjoy this trip. Would your excitement for that trip help you to prevail? I think it would help me prevail. Uh, always in the back of our mind would be this thought, like, I'm almost there. I'm almost there, just a little bit more. I can make this. I can get through this week. I'm almost there. I've found that anticipating even little pleasures in my life, like going out for pizza with my family, which is exciting for me, can help me work harder and to navigate some of the trickier details of life, some of those trying circumstances. Looking forward to something helps us through. Anticipating good, call, uh, good things, we could call it hope. Uh, is helpful to us when life demands much of us. And sometimes, doesn't life demand much of us? Honestly, though, some things hit us so hard that looking forward to pizza or a lavish vacation really doesn't do much at all. Um, I'm talking about the bitter life events that sap anticipation out of earthly pleasures The kind of things that take your appetite away, the kind of things that make you want to stay home all the time and not even go anywhere. Right now, people that I love are going through incredibly intense trials. Christina's aunt, we just found this out, has breast cancer. Her mother has lung cancer. Bruce Becker's cancer is back. You may not have heard this, but Judy Converse's cancer is back after 15 years. Life is so precious, and yet it is so fragile. And so I want to ask the question, is there anything exciting enough to put joy and eagerness inside of us during life-threatening trials? What, what could possibly be exciting enough to put a gleam in the eye when death's proximity seems so close? Well, there is something. Just one thing. And it has the influence to put a smile on the face of the person staring death in the face. To put joyful anticipation of death in the heart without annulling their will to live. It is the one thing that drove Paul to say, my desire is to depart. What puts desire inside of a man to leave this life? Listen closely. Paul said it well. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. There you have it. Paul's desire was to be with Christ, 
The single greatest desire for Paul was to be in the presence of his glorious Lord. And I want this this scripture this morning to build in you a greater excitement for the day that you will meet Jesus face to face and build in you a greater ambition for your life until that day comes. I want you to grow so excited about Jesus that you long to be with him right now while you joyfully serve him right now. Until then. Here's here's what I'd love for all of us to get deep down in our gut this morning. Departing to be with Jesus is exciting. Be excited. But until then, work hard for the progress and joy of others in the faith. Departing to be with Jesus is so exciting. Jesus is exciting. So be excited for that. But until that day comes, work hard, work tirelessly, work, work yourself to the bone for the progress and joy of others in the faith. This one sentence, that one right there, is so true for Christians because we know Jesus is supremely exciting and we're one breath away from being with him and, and we don't always feel that excitement for him, to be with him. His incalculable glory is veiled by our fear of leaving family and friends behind. Will they be okay? Are they going to be all right without me? Our, our fear of what death will be like. Oh, what's it going to be like when that day comes? What, how am I going to feel? Is it going to be painful? But our excitement for being with Jesus can put eagerness into our bones. So today, let's aim for two things. Number one, getting more excited about being with Jesus forever. And number two, learning how to be better stewards of the time from now until going to be with Jesus forever. It's pretty simple, just two things. How to be most excited about being with Christ forever. Paul wrote an amazing sentence that we all struggle with. We all struggle to believe this sentence. Christians believe it intellectually, but to live by it and to get that deep down in your gut where it, it, it influences your life, well, that's, that's the struggle. Here's the sentence. Paul said, for to me, to die is gain. To die, death, end of life. You're not living anymore. That means you bid farewell to everything that is precious to you in this life. You wave goodbye to your spouse. You wave goodbye to your kids. You wave goodbye to your family. You wave goodbye to your best friends and the best of times. You leave it all behind, and that somehow is to be gain? Do you really believe that to die is gain? Is that truth entrenched into your every day? Oh, how I struggle with this. My kids and I love this animated movie about a dog called Bolt. I don't know if you've seen it. And in the movie, there's this little hamster called Rhino. An amazing character. Rhino is hilarious and very entertaining. And at one heroic point in the movie, he's in this big 
hamster plastic ball, and he rolls up, and this door is coming closed, and in this great bout of heroicism, he, he rolls underneath, and, he picks, and, and the ball is above him, but his hands are up, and he's like, Today, or, it's a good day to die. And, and it's, just, it's a hilarious moment. It's a wonderful. And if you think about it, it's a good day to die. That's Pauline. That's Pauline. But if you had that on a t-shirt, people around you would be concerned about you. It's a good day to die. You know, what is wrong? Let's sit down and grab some coffee. What is wrong with you? But if you strip the humor from, from the rhino quote, think it through. Saints, it's actually true. It's actually true. Today is a good day to die. Now imagine that your friend sends you a text and they want to grab coffee to share something with you that is really exciting to them. And you can tell that they're really excited because of all the emojis that are in their text. If you don't know what an emoji is, that, that's fine. Keep living your life. It makes no difference. Um, so you go and you sit down across from the person and you look into your friend's eyes and it's shining with excitement. Wide eyes. And so you're excited. You're like, I cannot wait to hear this. And they tell you this. I just found out I have a, a glioblastoma multiform, the deadliest malignant brain tumor known. And the doctor just gave me one month to live. And I am so soon going to be with Jesus. And I am so excited. My friends, Jesus is that exciting. He is. Is death gain for you? Because you are legitimately excited about meeting the Jesus Christ face to face? This is the kind of excitement that only the Spirit of God can produce in people. That's the only explanation. It's supernatural excitement that is simply by grace. Paul was in prison facing the possibility of execution. And this was not the possibility of a quiet and, and very peaceful death in some hospice facility in Rome. He faced the likelihood of brutal and painful Roman execution. He was determined to honor Christ in either life or death. And in prison, Paul was conflicted inside between whether he wanted to live or whether he wanted to die. Both life and death had incredible blessings and, and he anticipated both for Paul. And, and, and he said in verses 22 to 23, yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two. Now, when Paul said he couldn't tell which he would choose, he didn't mean he would actually choose whether he lived or died. Do you understand that? His life was in God's hands, and God would choose whether he lived or died. Paul was not struggling with suicide. And if you don't watch it, that's kind of how it might seem to you, but you just got to keep it in the context and read very carefully what Paul is writing about. And you'll see that he's very hopeful. He wasn't struggling with suicide, but Paul was openly struggling with his desires, with his preferences. He said he was hard-pressed between life and death. Hard-pressed is two things pressing together, squeezing together, and Paul's right there in the middle. And he's feeling this on both sides. 
On the one side, dying and being with Jesus, and he was really excited about that. And on the other side, to live and do fruitful labor for the glory of Christ, for the, for the benefit of the Philippians, he was really excited about that. Both were amazing. Both were meaningful. Paul wasn't at all hopeless and miserable. The glory of Christ And his excitement to be with Christ gave Paul a real internal conflict. In verse 23, the statement to die is gain becomes clearer. You know a little bit more about what he's trying to get across. This will make you think. He said, my desire is to depart and be with Christ for that is far better. Now you got to let that sink in. You can't gloss over that. His desire was a strong longing, a craving. Depart is metaphorical for death. Paul's greater desire was to die. And again, as you think through that, you need to be pretty careful. You need to understand why he felt that way. What was behind Paul's desire to die? Very, very important question. So be careful with this. He was not wallowing in hopelessness. He was not wallowing in despair. He, he, was, he was not wanting to die because he was just so sad and depressed and he just wanted a way out, a way of escape. He had a great reason to live and he says that for to me to live is Christ. There's his reason. That's his motivation. He was hopeful in life. So then what, what made Paul desire to depart? Well, it's actually pretty easy to figure out. The glorious presence of Jesus Christ. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. He he felt that way deep within his heart because he had encountered the risen Christ. He knew the risen Christ. And he was excited about who Christ is. Now, a quick point that may help you, kind of an aside here, What happens when a Christian dies? Well, when a believer dies, their spirit immediately enters into the presence of Jesus Christ. We know that from various places, this being one of them. And their body remains dead until the final resurrection when their new body and spirit unite to enjoy God forever in the new heavens and the new earth. Last breath, there he is, the glorious Christ. Mystery, absolutely there is mystery in that, but we know that when the EKG flatlines, believers are standing in the presence, the beautiful presence of their glorious Christ, and they are excited to be there. They have no regret. They want to be in the presence of Jesus. Paul saw tremendous purpose for his life. He wanted to live, hence the conflict. But he said that being with Christ was far better. Paul used three Greek words that amplified his point. Paulus means to a greater degree or much. Malon means more, far, to a greater extent. And then kraton which means better or superior. So if you put all that together, to be in the presence of Christ is much more superior. It is better to a much greater degree. And Paul really believed that. To live as Christ, yet far better is to be face to face with Christ. 
soaking in his glorious presence. That's what Paul was wrestling with. Now, in order for you to be excited about being with Jesus, you need to absorb why Jesus is more exciting than everything else that you find exciting. Philippians 1 only works if Christ is supremely exciting. So I hope these these few thoughts that I'm going to lay out for you, about 10 of them, uh, will help you see clearly why Jesus is so exciting. All right, here we go. Jesus is supremely affectionate. Philippians 1.8. Being deeply loved and wanted is a really exciting thing for people. And here Jesus is, and he's the warmest, gentlest, kindest, and most affectionate person alive, and believers are perfectly loved by him. That's exciting. Jesus is supremely righteous. Philippians 1.11. Virtue and righteous are very exciting things. For in culture, especially, people get excited about that. And Jesus is entirely moral and upright and honorable in all things. Jesus is God in human flesh. Philippians 2, verses 6 and 8. No other person has a divine nature and a human nature. You see, intriguing people are exciting to be around. And Jesus is the most intriguing person alive. Jesus is the ultimate selfless servant. Philippians 2, verses 7 and 8. People get excited when notable people pay attention to them. Isn't that true? If a, if a celebrity says, hi there, Jonathan. <laughs> well, I say, thank you. Now, think about those exciting, thrilling, famous people serving you. Can I get you a drink, Jonathan? Yes, you can, Brad. Ding. All right. So... Hopefully you got, got where that was going from. He's, he's on my cool list, all right? And I'd say the same, you know, Robert Redford. Yes, you can get me a glass of water. I'm parched. All right. Jesus humbled himself and endured horrific pain and shame on a cross to give his life as atonement for sinners so that everyone who turns from sin and trusts in him alone will be loved by God forever? That's selfless. That's unbelievable. The most famous man ever is accomplishing those types of things. Okay, Jesus is highly exalted by God. Philippians 2.9. People get excited when other people win awards and honors. Think Olympic medals and military medals and valedictorians. God, the supreme award giver... No higher award giver has given Jesus Christ the preeminent honor. God highly exalted Jesus and gave him the uppermost name. There is no name greater. Jesus is therefore more exciting than Michael Phelps, who is the most distinguished Olympian of history. He's more exciting than Audi Murphy, the most decorated World War II veteran, or Anna Burkhart, the valedictorian of the Mannheim Central Class of 2016. Jesus is the sovereign Lord over everything, Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11. There's something exciting about bowing to a king, bowing to a queen, and talking about the rich and famous. We love to do it. 
Every single knee in heaven, on earth, and under the earth will bow in reverence to Jesus Christ. And every person will one day confess that Jesus Christ alone is Lord. Jesus is worth more than everything. Philippians 3.8, people get excessively excited about expensive antiques, about buried treasure, about costly jewelry, and unrivaled wealth, and yet... The value of Jesus surpasses the cumulative worth of everything in the universe. Jesus is the radiance of the glory of God. Hebrews 1, I'm jumping now to Hebrews 1, verses 3 and 4. This is so key. People are mesmerized by beautiful sunrises and sunsets. They're wonderful here in Lancaster County. And yet Jesus is the effulgence, look that up, or the beautiful sunrise of the glory of God. Jesus is supremely powerful. Hebrews 1, 3 through 4. Muscle cars, explosives, guns, and crashing waves of the sea. These are exciting things for many of us. People get very excited about powerful things. However, it is Jesus who keeps the universe in balance with simply His omnipotent Word. What exciting power. Last one, Jesus is the temple, the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb, and the eternal celestial city has no need of a sun, has no need of a moon, because He is the bright and shining lamp of the glory of God, which gives it light, Revelation 21, verses 22 and 23. The sun is exciting. Without the sun, earth would be this deadly, frozen ball of ice. The sun gives life, and yet Jesus makes the sun eternally unnecessary because he is the source of life. Saints, it is this exciting Christ who sought you, bought you, redeemed you, saved you, sanctified you, preserved you, upheld you, so that you would be really, really, really excited about Him. Saints, we cannot begin to fathom the glory of Jesus Christ, and therefore we cannot fully comprehend just how exciting He really is. Oh, do we fall short. You see, our view from this side is fogged. It's veiled. We cannot see the glory as we should. Sin veils the fullness of his desirability for us, so we need to trust God on this. We need to trust God on this. We need to believe that Jesus Christ far surpasses our limited conception of his glory right now. And eternity, my friends, will be a never-ending adventure of exploring the depths of the glory and desirability of Jesus Christ. To die is gain. Because being with Jesus is far better than anything and everything in this life. Listen to Psalm 1611, and it tells us this, that in the presence of God, there is fullness of joy. At his right hand are pleasures forevermore. Pleasures. I take that to mean that because Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is at the right hand of God, that it is in Him that we find eternal pleasures forever. 
He is the eternal pleasure. God is telling you directly from his word, from his heart, that Jesus Christ is more glorious than anything. And if God is most excited about the glory of his son, Jesus Christ, then I think Christ is exciting and should be for us. Agreed? We have never seen anything like the glory of Jesus Christ. Jesus himself prayed in the upper room, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me. Paul believed Jesus Christ and wanted nothing more than to be where Jesus is and to see him in all of his radiant glory that the Father gave him. He craved it. Paul craved to be in that spot. And I hope Romans 8, verse 18, can give you greater perspective in your life. Paul said this, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Not even worth comparing. Just a little, and then glory. One day Jesus will be revealed to us. And when we see his glory, all the suffering of this life will have been completely worth it. Completely. How can we be most excited about being with Jesus Christ forever? Forever? Every Christian is excited about Jesus Christ. It just comes with being a Christian. You've got to be excited. If you're not excited for Jesus, chances are you're not a Christian. All Christians are excited about Jesus. And all Christians can experience deep eagerness to be with him, but no Christian is as excited as they should be. I think that's helpful. That's how it is on this side. You see, we see in a mirror dimly. We're not seeing as vividly as what we should. And and so how do we fight our indifference? How do we fight our boredom? How do we fight our ho-hum attitude towards Jesus, which is there oftentimes? Well, we must fight to see more of the beauty and glory and supremacy of Jesus. We've got to fight to see because when we see more of him, we will be more excited about him. So we must do whatever we possibly can to see the excellence of Jesus Christ. Well, how do we do that? My friends, how do do we see more? Let me make it really simple because it's really not that hard to understand. The answer is the spirit working in you through the Bible. We see more of the glory of Jesus Christ when the Holy Spirit reveals him to us in the Bible. The Bible is much more than a book. I don't know if you know that. It's way more than a book to read once in a while. The Bible is God's self-revelation. The Bible is God's self-communication. He's communicating himself to us. Therefore, we must go to Scripture in order to know God. We know God in the Scripture, Even fellowship with God in prayer is to be shaped by Scripture. It is in the Bible that we observe and enjoy the glory of Christ. And creation, for those of you nature lovers who love to be outside, that only amplifies the truth that we see in Scripture. 
That's a general. Creation is so general. It doesn't give us the specifics of the glory of Jesus Christ that the Bible gives us. So they work together to just impress upon us how amazing Jesus Christ really is. So personal Bible study, preaching, teaching, Bible memorization, all work together to reveal Christ to us and increase our excitement in him. That's why those things are so important in the life of a Christian. Now, in the Lord's Supper, the gospel is made visible. And God works in the bread and the wine, so expect God to increase your excitement for Jesus as you very seriously, very carefully, very biblically observe the Lord's Supper. These are the means of grace that God gives you to fuel your faith, to increase your excitement. Imagine not having them. Devastating, not having the means of grace. Paul was ready to die and gain Christ. However, he didn't know the outcome. He didn't know what was going to happen. Verse 20 shows that. Verse 22 does as well. If I am to live in the flesh, if I am to live in the flesh, uh, flesh, God would decide. So what if Paul ended up living and surviving this whole thing? If he lived, he had one focus, fruitful labor. Fruitful labor. Every day that you wake up and realize, you know, oh my, (laughs) he gave me life another day. Every day, you have meaningful labor to do for Christ. How to work hard for the progress and joy of others in the faith. Paul said in verse 21, for to me to live is Christ. Then in verse 22, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Paul craved departing to be with Christ, but he also knew exactly what to do if he ended up living. Work hard to produce fruit for the glory of God. And he wanted that. Now, do you all enjoy peaches? My dad has a peach tree in his backyard. And for what I understand, caring for peach trees is, well, it demands careful work because very quickly it can all go south. Tim actually has, has some peach trees as well. And last year, my dad lost all of his crop. But this year, he, I don't know what he did different exactly. He might have sprayed a little differently or something. And, and he got a harvest of some, uh, not as many as he wanted, but, but a good amount. And he gave me one, which was like, yes. And then you know what I did? I let it sit there for a while, and some of it got rotten. So I cut off the rotten part, and I ate it. Man, this thing was juicy and sweet. It was a good peach. Careful and skillful and diligent work year after year after year can produce some amazing peaches. Amazing. When Paul said fruitful labor, he's not talking about peaches. He was talking about people. The word for labor is an assigned task or job. God gave Paul a job to do, and as long as Paul lived, he would work hard to advance the gospel so that other people could have more and more and more sweet and juicy tastes of God and enjoy him more. Fruitful labor is much different than busyness. There are many Christians who are busy, zipping around here and there, but they're producing so little fruit. Busyness is not good. Careful, skillful, diligent, and fruitful labor is good. 
And it's not even simply about working hard, and we need that clarification here in Lancaster County with the good old German work ethic. You know what I'm talking about. We love to sweat and to work hard. That's not what he's talking about. It's about working hard to produce spiritual fruit, enduring, valuable, juicy, sweet, spiritual fruit. So what kind of fruitful labor was Paul talking about? First, skim over the context of chapter 1. Paul wrote about partnership in the gospel, the defense and confirmation of the gospel, abounding love with knowledge and all discernment, approving what is excellent, being pure and blameless, filled with the fruit of righteousness, advancing the gospel, speaking the word, preaching Christ, proclaiming Christ. So as you soak in that, as we have done, the general theme emerges that working hard is working hard in a way that Christ is proclaimed, the gospel is advanced, and spiritual fruit is produced. Verses 25 and 26 really open up Paul's meaning. He said this, Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. Now, that's an incredibly selfless statement for a man who was imprisoned and could at any moment be executed. His preference was to depart and be with Jesus, yet he knew that his freedom would mean spiritual fruit in the saints of the, at Philippi, and he was conflicted about that because he wanted that too. He, he, he wanted that for the Philippians. And he said in verse 24, "...but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account." He, here was a selfless man who loved people and understood his calling to work hard to help people grow in the faith, to grow spiritually so that God would get more glory and they would have more joy in God's glory. He didn't know whether he would live or die, yet he thought he would live. He thought he would be able to see the Philippians again. He said later in Philippians 2, 24, and I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. So he was banking on being released, but he didn't know for sure. And if he was released, he'd work his tail off to see people, others, the Philippians, progress in the faith. I think Paul was explaining what to live is Christ means what fruitful labor means in verses 25 and 26 fruitful labor means continuing it meant for paul continuing with the philippians persevering to advance the gospel alongside of them with them it was it was helping them make progress in the faith it was doing the things that would bolster their joy in the faith especially being with them once again It was showing him self alive, which exalted God's gracious work and gave them reason to boast in Christ. Paul, you're still alive. You're here with us in the, oh man, this is great. Praise God for this. So it was living in such a way as to give people a reason to boast in Christ. Too many Christians wake up in the morning with too little perspective as to why God gave them another day. God causes us to live because God has something fruitful for us to accomplish. We have an aim. We have a direction. We have something to do, all of us. Every single one of us in here that claims the name of Christ. We live, we exist 
to help others progress in the faith and experience more joy in the faith and to be for people a reason to boast in Christ. They look at you and say, there's a reason that I'm praising God today because, man, I see God's work in you. So, dear brother and sister, if you ever think, why has God brought this suffering to me? Why do I have to live like this? I want you to remember, your suffering is a God-given opportunity to help others grow, to move ahead, to be more joyful, and to boast in Christ more. God is giving you something unique to do to bear fruit for his glory, to live as Christ, which is a selfless, Christ-centered, others-oriented life. And if it, if it all seems just too tough for you, I can't bear this. Oh, saints, God will graciously carry you through. Oh, yes, he will. And he'll give you this thought along the way. My desire is to depart, to be with Christ, for that is far better. But until then... Until that day, fruitful labor for me. I know what I got to do. You see, until your last God-given breath, you have a job to do to work as hard as you can to do whatever you can to help people progress in the faith and grab more joy in God. And if you don't know what that looks like, I don't know what I'm supposed to do. Let me help you out. Study Scripture. Study scripture and lean heavily on the Holy Spirit to show you what your job will be to progress the saints and bring more joy. He'll he'll make it clear for you. So ask God to show you, follow the Spirit, and do something. Do something. Act. Get out of the box. God will direct you. The Christian life is fruitful labor, fruitful work, hard work, toil, And if your life feels easy, and if you're coasting through, let me just tell you, you are not doing enough. Now, if you feel like, oh, man, I'm trying, and this is so... All right, then you're probably probably doing something for God's glory then. We must live with a godly tension between longing to be in the presence of Jesus and longing to bear fruit for Jesus. That tension. So let me end on this. The mission of Jerusalem Church is to lead people to find their greatest joy and pleasure in Jesus Christ above all things to the glory and worship of God. Why is that so important? Why? Who cares? Why is that our mission? How about we just get together and have fun with each other? Why is that not a better mission? Why this? Because what I just said is really hard work. Really hard work. Well, it's important because what else will help people live and die well? Will health, wealth, and prosperity help people hold this frail life with open hands and crave Jesus more? Will feeding people a bunch of self-help garbage put a fire in their bones to live for Christ and die as gain? No, not in a million years. Those things are not helpful. We need to show people the supremacy of Christ in all things so their desire for Christ grows and they see how awesome he is and they live therefore to to just have fruitful labor for him 
as Christ works in them and for Christ, the glory of Christ, we need more people saying that dying is incalculable gain. Christ really is this exciting. He really is. And dying really is gain for those who have Christ. It really is. And we want people to experience the joy and peace and comfort and hope and contentment and excitement of anticipating being with Christ. It isn't sometimes the anticipation what is so gripping. And then sometimes we get to it and we're like, oh, that's really all that it was. And that will not be the case because when we get to Jesus, it's just going to be, what? Never thought this in a million years, how amazing he is. To many people, life is about fear. I own that so much. But we must give people the ultimate reason to be excited in life or death. Christ is exciting and he is worth it. I hope to leave, I hope that you can leave here a little less apprehensive about death. Maybe just one step a little bit more excited, a little bit more excited for the day that you will see Jesus face to face. I hope you leave here a little more motivated to work hard for the progress and joy of others in the faith until that day, until then. Saints, it really is true. Departing to be with Jesus is exciting. So be excited. Be excited. Feel free to be excited about dying. But until then, work hard. Devote yourself to the progress of the saints, to the joy of the saints. And together, let us, let us look to Jesus Christ, to that day that we will be with him forever, together, enjoying him together. And then let's live in a way where our excitement for him, our excitement for that day just comes through in our life, that people sense it. Man, what are you all amped up about? Let me tell you, I'm really glad that you ask. Jesus is exciting. Father, thank you for your incredible word, your word of grace to us, and I pray that you would work in us through the word of God, through preaching, teaching, Bible study, memorization. Work through those things to show us in your word how eternally thrilling Jesus Christ is and put within us a burning desire deep within our bones to be with Jesus, but until then, put a burning desire deep within our bones to work hard for the progress and joy of the saints. Amen.